back in on Canuck Central. Dan Richo, Satyar Shaw. Canuck Central is for Enzyme Pacific, Vancouver's premier Chrysler, Dodge, Ram, and Jeep Superstore on 2nd Avenue between Canby and Maine or at EnzymePacificChrysler.ca. Uh, just before we get to our Friday hockey analyst, Yannick Hansen, we'll uh, hit some of these texts. We'll have a, a lot to get to in the mailbag as well a little bit later on. But... Um, a lot of uh, reaction coming in on what Jim Rutherford had to say about Elias Patterson. Yeah, and a lot of people texting in uh, with like some surprise, but also more about wait. So like, you, what, if Patterson wants fifteen million, sixteen million. Like, what, what are you going to do? Like, if he wants to be on a winner, can they actually afford to give him this much? And somebody else said uh, this this is becoming a distraction and seriously killing the vibe of the season. I hope uh, I hope he calms the waters. I'm souring on him very quickly with everything going on, and and others, you know, also having some dismay. When, when, when we say he controls all the cards, like I don't necessarily think he's going to ask for like $15 million over eight years. I think it's more about he can pretty much get whatever term he wants. Like even if you, he could probably say, like, I want two years. And the Canucks be like, okay. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, and if you can do that or do three years and still get 12, like I thought before the season, if you want a three-year deal at, at above $11 million, it would be tough because it's like, hey, you're not giving me term. So you're doing three years. You only give me two UFA years, and you want the AAV to be over twelve million. Like to me, no. But the way he's playing, by the end of the season, he might be able to do that. Yeah, and that would be unprecedented. But it's shorter term, so I don't necessarily think it's about Pedersen trying to like squeeze out the highest AAV long term. I think it's about the type of structure he wants and the type of term he wants. He gets a three year deal. He's UFA at twenty eight again. Yeah, and in three years, what if the cap goes up? And and it's signing for a high, same percentage of the cap, but a higher cap number. So. He's at that point. He's still not hurting the team because if he's signing for, say, you know, twelve percent of the cap, yep. Let's say he's doing that at this cap number, or if he's doing it at ninety-five million or hundred million in three years, then that number is going to be higher. Changes a lot. So, for context, um, Connor McDavid right now is making twelve and a half million dollars. We've been in a flat cap scenario, so this number could be <laughs> astronomical, really, but. If we were in a normal situation and the cap just kept going up like it was in the past. But even still, with a flat cap, Connor McDavid, when he signed his deal, was 16.7% of the cap. That today would be around 14.5 million yeah. percentage of the cap. It's the highest number in the league. The next highest is Nathan McKinnon at 15.3%. Austin Matthews is going to go up to over 13 million next year. That's going to be quite a big number but similar to the mcdavid one when he signed his essentially you know the biggest numbers in the league are based on where the cap ceiling is at and if you come up for a new contract more often that gives you a chance to increase your earning potential over time you're just taking the risk of potential injury into play but how many superstar players like this have seen an injury really derail their right. careers. It just doesn't doesn't happen all that often. No, and in, and if you're able to bank like, you know, uh, Austin Matthews has on a five-year deal and a four-year deal as much yeah. money as he has, it makes it easier to take that type of risk too, especially players that are very marketable. It seems uh, like we think that the player would want eight years, but actually, you know, as we've learned over time through the cap era, you know, a, a player signing for eight years is incredibly team friendly, especially when they are this level of player. Yeah. It's just generally, you know, uh, 
the agent will usually suggest to take the term because of safety. Yes. And you're saying no to total money, like a lot of money. Like you're, we're, we're talking about an eight year, nine year, eight year deal, upwards of 90 million, yeah. 100 million potentially. How much more money do you really need? It's a Is lot it, of money. Yes. Right. But you can still make it more favorable. And I think more, more than anything, it's, it's about controlling um, your own destiny more. Right. Like, let's say things go haywire again or like you have a desire to do something different in your life in a few years. And then having the, the flexibility to change your situation if you want. And I know it's hard for fans to listen to this sometimes. Like, yes. well, what are you talking about? I want this guy to stay here forever. But it's just giving yourself options in any life, I think, would be positive. Um, so I think that plays a part into all of this. But it allows know. the player to hold his cards. Yes. And you know, not, there's not a lot of players that have done that very often in the NHL. So. That was an interesting thought on Elias Patterson and also an interesting thought on what the Canucks might be willing to use to add to their roster ahead of the trade deadline this year, Sad. This is the more fun discussion. Yes. Uh, and he essentially said, like, hey, we're, okay, we're not, we're not trading guys who are not pro in terms of prospects. Not trading, you know, good players off their roster, too. Yeah. You know? Which makes you think of Lekaramaki Willander. Yes. As the not pros that they wouldn't be willing to trade. And on the roster, I mean, he essentially he also said uh, when he met with the media today on Andre Kuzmenko, he thinks he's going to be a good player, whether it's here or elsewhere. Yes. <laughs> so very much available if the right price comes along, right? Or right situation comes along. Well, they are still very much in a, if you bring a salary in, salary's got to go out situation too. So I think that's the guy you, yep. that would be the exception to, I don't want to mess with the roster too much. But Lakira Mackey, right? Will Lander, Bustavich, and some of the other maybe prospects. Are probably, and, but he said... Other young guys and prospects, mm-hmm. pros, guys in Abbotsford, didn't name names, obviously, but I think they're willing to do a first-round pick and a prospect. And if you want the, one of the best players in the market, that's what the cost is. Yeah. And it's not necessarily your best prospects. We've talked about this so much, but the Canucks have finally got to a point here where they don't necessarily have to trade like Mackey and Willander because they do have Aturatu. They have put Coles in. You know, they have even Niels Hoaglander, you mm-hmm. know, and whether they want to do that or not. But they have options here. Like they have they have other players that they can move that are sought after that can get you the types of players you need at the deadline. But it's pretty clear that the most obvious choice is going to probably be a rental. He said, of course, they'd love to add somebody with control and term, but that depends on the market. And right now, that may not be something available to them. And uh, that could mean Jake Gensel. That could mean Elias Lindholm, who Elliot Friedman alluded to in this morning's edition of uh, 32 Thoughts, which was actually taped yesterday in Victoria during the Hockey Day in Canada festivities. Uh, All right, we'll get back into this. I'm sure we'll have a ton of questions uh, during the mailbag about it as well. But let's get to our Friday analyst. He's brought to you by the Magnuson Auto Group, Metro Ford, Port Coquitlam, and Magnuson Ford in Abbotsford on both sides of the Fraser to serve you. It is Yannick Hansen. Thanks for this, Yannick. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Uh, we're, we're doing well. Uh, Jim Rutherford getting a contract extension today. It's uh, It's been an interesting three years that he's been on the job. Maybe took a, a step back to take a couple steps forward here this year. But ultimately, uh, it seemed like a no-brainer decision for the organization with the way things have gone this year. Yeah, it's tough to, to argue with, uh, with results, and that's definitely what they're getting right now. Um, so from when he was hired to where they are now, I don't think a lot of people would have predicted that in, in, in that time span. So, no, he, uh, he earned it, and uh, hopefully they could keep building on, on what they've started. Uh, obviously, they're not done yet. Um, but again, it, it's one of those things that are, from a player standpoint, um, you don't notice it, don't see it, don't really matter to you. It has no effect on your day-to-day uh, in any sense. Uh, it's um, 
a little bit of a case of of white noise, to be honest, uh, when when the signings happen at uh, at that level. You were here during uh, both stability and instability in the front office. When you got traded, of course, there was a lot going on with the team. And uh, when you were here having success, there was stability in the front office. Is is How different is it being on a team where you don't always wonder what the hell is going on? Yeah, but like I said, uh, that, that stuff is more so when you touch on the coaches. Because um, a GM gets let go, a president gets let go. It doesn't. It doesn't change anything. Normally, the when they let go, it's it's because things aren't going right um, on the ice, and then you'll see the the, the direction getting changed there first. Um, that being said, we have seen two coaches coming through. We're on our third now, so it's like um, we've seen that part of it. Now it's uh, you're talking about stability, um, but like I said, it's it's at a level where as a player it, it doesn't really really register in any way it's just uh yeah it gets done and and you cross paths with him here and there uh, i doubt you talk to him when you're uh when you're negotiating or anything like that so it's again it's it's a little bit too far removed from a player standpoint but it's something that you notice you know the 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 way the team is played i think the almost the best move I mean, look, they've made a few savvy moves to the roster, of course, uh, but a lot of the the success has been with players who have been here for a while, and they've just implemented a better system and upgraded the depth around them a little bit. But it seems like the best move Jim Rutherford and Patrick Alvin has made is is getting Rick Tockett to coach this team and, and getting everybody on board with that. Yeah, again, finding the right coach for the right group of guys uh, is is important as well, and you've seen that numerous places where all it takes is a different voice, a different philosophy, and then the, the teams uh, playing to their potential. Um, so, so again, getting a guy in who has gotten them to understand a way of playing if you want to win and getting them to do it, because there's no question that both Bruce and, and Travis, they had, they had talented guys. These guys were here. Those two did not have the depth that, uh, that Rick has, uh, talking has. There's no question about this. This is the best team we've seen in a long, long time, um, top to bottom. It's got it's got some depth now. Depth now, finally, um, it's good in a lot of different areas. In the terms that, if the game is played on a different precipice, let's say back in the day, like we we're a skilled team here in Vancouver, we'll play a skilled game. But if the game turned a little bit and now it's a physical game or, or now it's a tight checking game, Vancouver couldn't play that style. Where now you've got enough guys now that if it becomes physical, you have enough guys to can to can lean on in that sense and you're not getting pushed around. If it's a little bit more of a tight checking game, you have guys who can play that game as well. If it's freewheeling and dealing like we've seen at, at times as well, they definitely can do that still. So you've given... You're giving the coaches a lot more bullets in, in his magazines, if you will, in the terms that uh, it doesn't really matter who's on the other side. If it's an Edmonton, if it's a Phoenix, if it's a Mini, if it's a Nashville, we can play any way the other teams like to. Obviously, you always want to dictate, but that's not always uh, uh, doable. So in order to um, win the style like you're in that night, um, it gives you a greater advantage and a bigger chance at, at winning some of these games that in the past I would just mm-hmm. slip away from them. 
Now, as far as uh, how the team was playing more recently, they're they're on another stretch here, Yannick, where they're now 6-0-1, game point streak. They just keep uh, getting points and getting uh, victories, it seems. Uh, it seems too easy for these guys at this stage. But there are a few things kind of going on. And with Andre Kuzmenko, of course, uh, hey, we've talked about this a lot. I know you've answered questions about Kuzmenko a lot. But yet again, last night, you know, gets pen benched in the end of the second period, doesn't play at all in the third and like it, it just seems to be the same story over and over again. Like, what do you do at this point? Like, even uh, the the president Rutherford said, "We've done what we can do." It's just he doesn't have confidence right now. Yeah, um, Torch had a great line with that one about confidence. He was walking through a dressing room in in Detroit, um, and at that point, we were a little bit. I don't know if we're down on ourselves. Things weren't going well, and he walked in at Joe Lewis, and he's like talking about how management needs to, we need to get confidence back in the room. And he just dips into his pants pocket and he pulls his pocket out and looks at it. It's like, I can't give this stuff to you. I don't have it. Um, so I, I guess it's one of those where the players have to have to find it themselves, um, get that confidence back. Um, but again, it, it's a glaring need. It's a glaring need on, on the team because Kuzmenko was that guy that could be a top six winger. Uh, and kind of complement the the three guys we have that are legitimate, um, but three guys in the top six is is not enough. Um, and where he would he would kind of tilt it in the right direction. So now we're only looking for two complementary ringers, preferably one on each line. But with him not, not fulfilling the part that he was kind of pencil in at uh, now now the holes are becoming too hard. And and we saw what happened before they re- reunited the lotto line. Like they they. Petey couldn't quite get it done by himself. He was kind of a little bit too easy to zone in on when you're just focusing on him when he's on the ice. Um, so, again, that that's where we keep hearing this trade rumor about a top six winger, um, and, and that is to give them to give them another shot in the barrel because you're needing it. You know, uh, I mean, there's a lot with, with Kuzmenko there, and I just feel like even on the power play, like the power play has struggled for a couple of months now, and... You know, you're watching it. They're whipping it around, and they almost seem to avoid Kuzmenko. And whenever he does get the puck, it seems to die on his stick. Can can his teammates lose confidence in him as well? Yeah, you can if, if it goes on too long. Um, and again, like you say, if, if the place keeps dying on his stick, that that's never a good thing. Because now you start looking. Okay, maybe we're, we're not in a in a mean way, uh, looking away from him, but we're just trying mm-hmm. to also protect him a little bit. And now you're taking an option away. You're not using it. You're you're forcing other plays. So it, it's a bad rut to to get into. Um, but but again, it's 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 a it's a glaring question. It's one that needs answering, and it's probably going to need answering either for Kuzmingo himself or from Jim and Patrick yeah. in, in terms of bringing somebody in who can fill that void. And that's obviously not going to be cheap. Um, but again, when you have a team like you do right now, you, you I hate to say go all in, but, but when you have a team that's playing like this, you don't know how often they come. You mm-hmm. don't know when it's going to happen again. So, so you're going to have to, uh, you're going to have to reward the players, the, the, the coaches for getting Vancouver Canucks in this situation they're in right now. And, and that means, adding to this group it means adding a significant piece and yeah that's going to come out of your your future and stuff like that but but that's um, that's 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 how business is conducted these days and like i said you, you're kind of 
the players and the team is forcing their hands in the way they're playing right line. You just mentioned it, uh, points in, in seven straight. Their trade then deadline is coming up. They're they're not looking like they're falling off. So um, barrel barrel down and then head forward and then and and see if you can find a way to to add something to this group that will uh, that will make a, a significant difference. We know the front office has said they're they're very willing to improve the team. They're not afraid of making deals, and they understand you have to pay to acquire something. And the two names that are out there as far as rentals are concerned, we've heard Jake Gensel's name. We've heard Elias Lindholm's name. Of those two players, which one do you think would be the better fit here? I, I like Gensel. I like the winger here in this case. Obviously, the center is... Uh, you're always picking the center, but, but if... In my world, you, you, I know you don't want to split up the lotto line the way they're playing right now, um, but I'm just worried about throwing all your eggs in one basket and what happens if they get shut down um, in, in a playoff series. You've got to be able to split them. And again, having a, having a winger who can play with Petey, um, and hopefully not just for the next three months, hopefully for the foreseeable future, um, give him a running mate. That'll give teams a, a lot harder matchup um, to think about because are we going to match up against JT and Besser or are we going to match up against PD and whoever he's playing with and a lot of teams they have five six seven guys that, that you if you sit them down before a series hey make sure you guys going to be playing against these every single chance you get just don't let them score just make sure you defend like a lot of teams can shut down players like that especially in a playoff series um, issues become after these guys the defensive awareness and abilities they fall off a cliff and i'm not saying they're bad hockey players after that it's just the defensive side of the game um it's now you're starting to see the offensive guys they're going to cheat a little bit you're hoping for a little bit of offense maybe you're not quite getting in the same way um looking over your shoulders so so like that that's where if you only relying on one line to score for you i'm not Vancouver's only relying because we're seeing uh, that third line is, is still producing. Um, but again, if you're going into a series against Vancouver tomorrow and you're Vegas, you, lot of line is going to see Peter Angelo every single shift. There, there's no question about that when you're in Vegas. So like that's where it's nice to have some of these uh, uh, matchup abilities and, and get guys away from him and uh, those type of players. Uh, and again, that's where this this top six winger could throw them over the, the hump in that sense, or Kuzminko finding his way, which is what we're hoping for, because that's obviously the cheaper solution. Mm-hmm. And if he's playing like he did last year, then, yeah, you're just adding on top of that, but you're not, I don't want to say desperate, but but that's almost where you are right now when, with only having three legitimate top six players. Do they look like a cup contender to you now? <laughs> you can't argue with results. Um uh, again, uh, I'd love to see them playing uh, Edmonton, uh, Vegas uh, right now. I know that they haven't played quite as well as they, as they did in the beginning, Vegas. But but like I'd love to see them against these teams, uh, get them to play against Boston, um, see where they match up against Colorado right now, um, and see if you can if you can hit that button, that switch, uh, that one game when you need it, um, and, and win a game that. Everybody in the entire league is kind of zoning in on because, like, you're seeing this uh, this matchup coming up. You said, "Well, this this could be a this could be a conference final." Then everybody takes notice, and then how are players going to be performing? Not over a stretch of ten games where you win some, you lose some, but sixty minutes, and we got to win this one game, treated like a playoff game. 
and are you able to to beat the best teams in the league that that one game that's kind of what they have left to prove to me in 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 the way i look at it one player who's you know i mentioned this we we talked about this yesterday that jt miller still still at times seems a bit underappreciated in this market since coming over to vancouver he's top 10 in national hockey league scoring since 2019 he's ninth tied with matthew kachuk how how good is he offensively and how big of a impact player is he considering his size combination his physicality when he's going and the high skill level yeah he's going to be underappreciated until they start winning some playoff series here in vancouver um and then uh he he will get the he will get the love that he probably deserves i think he's polarizing because of his um the attitude and, and the attitude is also what makes him good, but it's also what makes people frustrated with him. Slamming his stick, uh, frustration, anger, yelling, all, all of these things that you kind of read in the wrong way when when maybe it's just the way the guy is, is motivating himself. Um, but there's no question his plays or his incident, whether it's a back check that's been blown up in this media, um, market that that's been kind of uh, at the forefront when you think of, of JT Miller and his um, situation that hasn't been as favorable uh, seen from from the fans and stuff like that. But in terms of his production, his play, uh, what he means to this team, yeah, it's um, you're in a Canadian market. I, I don't know what to tell you. Um, if he's playing on on 31 other teams, you, you're you're praying you, you can get a guy like this on your team as a fan and as a as a as a opponent if you will or, or player in the dressing room uh, Elias Pettersson uh, was asked today about his contract and he said he still wants to wait until the summer to negotiate um, is, is there any reason to uh, to feel a little bit uneasy about his future here in Vancouver uh, from Vancouver standpoint yes because um, it's only going to go up the way they're going right now um, he's put himself in a position where uh, Patrick or her gym is going to hand him a blank check, check and he's going to write a number on it and if they don't like it then it's their loss he can take his uh, his services wherever he will um, that's the way his contract was structured three years ago um, that's the way he's played um, and if I'm Petey if I'm completely honest the way this team is playing I'm, I'm waiting too um, he's going to get his money uh, but he's going to get more if they have a little bit more success in the playoff. And that's, he's probably banking on himself, his team, because this team will, will go as far as Demko, Quinn Hughes, uh, JT, and Peter takes them. Petey takes them. And if they take them far, like I said, he, he can write his own contract, whatever it is. Um, and, and that's probably where um, his uh, reluctance to signing right now stems from. Um, had it been the other way around, team was fluttering a little bit. He was playing okay. Then you take the you, you take the um, uh, the security. But but like right now, he he he's going to write his own own next contract. And and again, waiting it out, it just uh, it, it makes sense from a player standpoint. You're always like, what happens if I get hurt and all these things? But he's so young that it, it's I can't see it having any impact. Yannick, we appreciate the time as always. Thanks for this. Yeah, take care. There is uh, Yannick Hansen providing his take on where the Canucks are, what they should add, and, of course, Elias Patterson, because uh, that is... 
the talk of the day, the talk of the town, and it will be until maybe they make that acquisition ahead of the deadline. Yeah, it, it certainly will be, and I, I'm really excited to see what the Canucks actually do because based on everything Rutherford told us, like he's not going to sit there quietly or or Alvin going to sit there quietly for the deadline. Man, they've made like 17,000 trades since coming in as the Canucks front office. You don't think they're going to make an ad? They'll make a, maybe a couple. And he even said, hey, we have to consider other things. Like he's, he's very keen and the organization is very keen on giving this team the best chance possible in the playoffs. Uh, all right. We're going to get into the mailbag. Lots more questions coming up there. Jan Pro, the leader's in commercial cleaning and janitorial, if your workplace demands a clean environment, most do. Contact JanPro for a free, no-obligation quote. Visit janpro.ca. You are listening to Canuck Central. The most opinionated Canucks show out there. Canucks Talk with Jamie Dodd and Thomas Drans. Be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Back in on Canuck Central this hour, brought to you by Brevo. Brevo provides convenient cloud-based access control systems from your mobile device for any industry. Go to lp.brevo.com slash Canada for a smart demonstration. Dan Richo, Satyar Shah here in the Kintec studio. Let's bring in our next guest. It is Shane Malloy, Hockey Prospect Radio on Sirius XM NHL. And, uh, of course, a board member uh, with this... Uh, New foundation we are going to talk about, the Western Canada Professional Hockey Scouts Foundation. Thanks for this, Shane. How are you? Doing great, gentlemen. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Uh, always uh, always a pleasure. And um, I- I'm curious, let's start on on, on the foundation. Um, what's, what's the goal here with the Western Canada Professional Hockey Scouts Foundation? Well, it was, it was originated because there was a, a great desire from the current scouts, you know, in Western Canada specifically, to honor the past scouts who helped mentor them and help build the game and help the entire scouting fraternity build it up from its grassroots. And, you know, in their early days prior to 1967, it was, you know, it was very few scouts. Most teams only had a couple. And it was, it was really a challenging way to make a living in that way. Uh, not like it is today when we have all the technology and easier travel. And it was those gentlemen like George Agar and Frank Curry and uh, Torchy Shell and Danny Summers and, you know, guys like Cecil Thompson. And those were the first pioneers out West that helped end up mentoring the early era guys from 1968 to 80. And then it was those gentlemen who end up, mentoring the modern era of the guys who are, you know, currently working in the NHL. And I happen to be one of them as well. And, you know, we talk about it every time the draft comes up and NHL GMs talk about it and owners talk about it is, you know, the scouts are the lifeblood of hockey and the lifeblood of the NHL. Yet, you know, they never seem to get recognized for that. And the scouting community in Western Canada felt it was time that, there had to be a way to honor the commitment and dedication uh, of these gentlemen. And so they put together a 
honoree list, uh, and they've done foundations and events in Okotoks. Okotoks, the city, and the Okotoks Oilers, uh, you know, graciously dedicated a whole wing in their uh, in their arena, and there's going to be video tributes and uh, pictures and bios of all the inductees uh, from the past past year that went in, and then the 45 inductees this year. And it's going to be a permanent thing that's going to happen every year in Western Canada. And when I got the call from uh, Garth Malarchuk and Ross Mahoney, if I'd be willing to help, I jumped at it because many of these guys were my first mentors. Two of them are going in this year, um, who unfortunately have, have passed on, and Lauren Davies and Patty Janelle were my first mentors when I started working in Calgary. And then, you know, as I moved back to Vancouver... I had, you know, Glenn Dirk and, and the whole group of Western Canadian scouts who helped me. And I wouldn't have the career I'd have today without them because there's no school mm-hmm. to teach you how to scout. There's no manual. Um, and if you don't learn from other scouts, it's nearly impossible to figure out how to evaluate players. So for me, it was um, I jumped at the chance to help these gentlemen. And uh, it's going to be a great class this year. And it's... Uh, going to continue to move forward and the foundation is not only to honor uh, those scouts but also to provide uh, back charities and to help community groups uh, in the different uh, locations across western canada and uh, in the future mentor uh, the next generation of scouts coming up and that mentorship obviously is something that's really important and especially you know having a history and how much would, would that kind of help the overall process of of looking at it and saying like this community is is now has a real basis to it like in terms of there's a history to it there is a maybe a, a better way of graduating through the process and looking at it at the end of the day and saying you know you can be considered one of the better scouts if you follow a certain pathway well, certainly, it's part of it is is dedication that you got to stick at it, uh, and there is a, such a rich history, and, and so much of it is an oral history, and that if we don't preserve the stories from the past generations, they're lost forever because no one's really documented those stories. And like, if you get to sit around and have a couple drinks with scouts, uh, it's never it's a fascinating conversation. It's full of laughs, but that's where you start to learn about the game uh, from guys that have been in the ranks uh, for the vast majority of their lives. And their level of dedication is unmatched because think about how many days you're away from your families. So, you know, you have to love the game more than anybody else. You've got to be a little bit crazy, if not a lot crazy. And in a conversation I had with Ross Mahoney, he had calculated the number of nights he stayed at Marriott hotels over his career. And it added up to 11 years, 11 years of his life. He has stayed in a Marriott hotel while out scouting. That's wild. Like, I hope he was collecting points. Well, he had a tremendous <laughs> amount of points. So, yeah, so does every other scout. So, And that's part of the foundation as well as we actually will provide people uh, with free nights in hotels based on donation of, of the many Marriott nights that you know, myself and other scouts collect. And yeah, for them, it's really important to honor the people who you know mentored them and then to be able to give back to the communities and to, to help, you know, people who want to be involved in the game of hockey, but you know, maybe can't afford it. So young kids who need equipment or young coaches who need assistance in learning and then try to help mentor the next generation of scouts. So I commend them for taking that step because I, I was a little disappointed. I thought the industry at some point would 
take it upon themselves to do it. And then the scouts decided to take it upon themselves. And I'm hoping one day, gentlemen, that there'll be an extra wing added onto the Hockey Hall of Fame. Because I know there's a wing for, you know, the, the writers and there's a wing for the broadcasters and there's the builders, you know, category. But I don't think the scouts would ever end up getting in there. So I'm hoping one day that the Hockey Hall of Fame will have its own wing for the scouts. Because I think these people really deserve that type of accolades and that, and that honor. Yeah, you got to begin somewhere, and, and hopefully this is the start of getting to that st- point. And you, you mentioned 11 years in the hotel. Uh, the note here on Elmer Benning, who's Jim Benning's father, uh, who's a very world-renowned scout and one of the uh, 17 scouts inducted to the early era, he put over a million miles on his car uh, while scouting on one car. So uh, I guess that doesn't sound quite as crazy as 11 years, but it just shows you how much driving is also involved. You know, their dedication is, is impressive, and um, they were never they never complained about it. You'll never hear a scout complain about their job, and which is, you know, really impressive considering it's not sexy. I know a lot of people out there say, oh, I want to be a scout. That sounds so glorious. Trust me, it's not. I worked as a scout for the U- in the USHL, and it was actually scouts that helped me got, get my first job. And there's nothing glorious about driving in the middle of winter, white knuckling it through bad weather, drinking bad coffee, sitting in the corner of the rink and trying to figure out what this 17, 18 year old kid's going to do. Or in some cases, 15 or 16 year old. Uh, sometimes that felt like I had a cardboard box in my head. I'm like, what am I watching here? Um, and you just keep plugging along and keep doing it uh, until you start to figure things out the best you can and try to give an honest assessment of the, the players that you're watching. And that's all they ask for in return. And um, even though, you know, I'm on the other side of the coin to, you know, obviously all these scouts and I, I don't get grief from them because, you know, we, we try to be fair to each other um, and in fair in our assessments. And that's all they ask for. Like just go to the rink, make an assessment um, and be fair in your critique. And that's all I can ask. Cause that's all they ask from themselves or each other from that standpoint. So, I'm really happy for a lot of the people that are being inducted because there's a lot of legacies, as you mentioned, obviously, you know, Jim Benning's dad, Elmer, and then Bart Bradley's is going in. His son is Scott Bradley, who works for the Boston Bruins. And, um, you know, Brad Davis's dad, Lauren Davis, Brad was a longtime scout for Edmonton, you know, Patty Janelle, both his sons scout, one for Vegas and one for St. Louis. Um, so it's that, and then Lou Jankowski, his, his son is Ryan Jankowski, works for the Arizona Coyotes. So it's um, it actually continues. So it's uh, it's really great for to see the sons see their fathers being recognized for all the work they've done. So it's um, I think that day in July 29th in Okotoks is going to be a pretty emotional night. Yeah, July 29th is uh, the induction ceremony, uh, the announcement. If you'd like to, to hear more or read more about uh, some of the those that are going into uh, the Wall of Honor at the Western Canada Professional Hockey Scouts Foundation, you can just go to HockeyScoutsFoundation.com and get more uh, details on uh, the vision, the mission, and uh, some of those that are going into the Wall of Honor this year Shane Malloy our our guest and uh, Shane you know we we like to bring you on to talk prospects quite often here on the show and we we just finished up talking with Jim Rutherford earlier and you know we know the Canucks focus now is maybe what can they add and you know we made an interesting comment about what they might be willing to trade from their prospect pool and it's 
Maybe not those that are still yet to turn pro. So I guess that means maybe Lekaramaki, Willander, and more focusing on uh, the, maybe the Pod Colsons, Ratus of the world. From from how you or your perspective, like do the Canucks have some prospects with real value in that sort of range now that they've built up through the Abbotsford Canucks? Well, certainly they have some value. It's not as deep, obviously, as I'm sure they would want it to be, and that's part of the reason of there's a few prospects that haven't quite turned the corner yet. Pod Colson hasn't quite turned the corner. Um, actually, Rex is actually quite young. I mean, you know, even, unfortunately, you know, when you look at, you know, Klimovich as well, who's also very young um, at 21, so he hasn't quite, you know, quite turned the corner either. Um is there value in those three players? I think, you know, yes, in, a, in certainly in a couple of them. And then if you, you know, you think you can land a big fish, then obviously you're probably going to have to look at the Karamaki and Willander. Um, I think it's, it's not a position of strength. So if they really think they're just going to like roll the dice and trade off prospects, it puts a lot of pressure on obviously the amateur scouting staff and the player development department, because, you start to lose even one of those assets and you're diminishing a pool that's not particularly strong in the first place. Um, you know, and that is, you know, simply a fact. Uh, it's not as deep as other pools. So could you do that? Sure. But I mean, you're also like very cognizant of the fact that you're going to diminish your prospect pool and you look at your window of opportunity and you think if it's worthwhile to move that prospect and you're going to do it. Um, I'm a little bit more conservative when it comes to those things. Yeah, I prefer I prefer not to get rid of those assets, but you also have to understand that you have to give to get. And you know, we've seen other teams do that. Look, you know what L.A. Kings have done, but they had a very flush system. You know, I'm sure you know as we watch Brock Faber continue to get better, that you know maybe one day they're going to regret making that that trade. But you got to give to get, and will that happen for the Canucks if they trade one of their you know, the prize prospects because I was at the world juniors and LaCara Mackey started to be the player that people thought he was going to be when he was drafted. And I thought Willander was as sharp as an intelligent, as a defenseman as you could find at the world juniors and him and Theo Lindstein look great together. So I don't think you're going to get, you know, their, their stock probably not, might not be higher mm-hmm. unless they, you know, come out and have another great year on top of that. But, they both look fantastic. So, you know, if uh, if there's a time to ever sell one of those guys, the time is now. Yeah, and I mean, in terms of the upside for those guys, I mean, Lakira Mackey seems to actually have legitimate top side goal scoring upside. And what do you think the upside is for Willander? Well, I think Willander, when even when I I had him going into the draft, uh, I had him in that top fifteen, and I thought he was going to be a number three D man, the one of those linchpin number threes, where. He's a guy that's going to eat a lot of minutes. Um, he's going to match up against the top lines because his skating ability and his intelligence is so good. And the fact that he's becoming much more consistent in a lot of his habits and he shows a tremendous amount of poise and those type of defensemen just calm situations down. And he's a coach's dream. When things are getting chaotic, he's a guy you throw over the boards and you just calm things down. And in terms of the Karamaki, I don't think things have changed from my assessment, even in his draft. I thought if he was going to play, he's going to be a, a really prolific second-line scoring winger and a guy who's going to be on your first-line power play. I just don't necessarily would w- think that 
you put him on a top line because if you have to have him out there against another top line matching, um, and I think he'd be more dangerous against a second pair if you can get them get him out there uh, more often. But he showed in this World Juniors his one elite skill, and that's scoring goals. And it's so hard to find guys like that, you know, that one-shot goal score. So, you know, he has that potential. And it was just nice to see him get back on the horse again. Like, and I, I want to see prospects do well. I want them to try to fulfill, like, regardless of what team drafts him. And he had such a tumultuous year last year, and it was very difficult. And he just sort of stormed back and reasserted himself and, you know, showed, you know, the hockey world that he could be the man. It's, uh, it is interesting the way the Canucks have uh, sort of started to develop prospects at, a, at an older age. I mean, we saw them send Nils Hoaglander down to the AHL at the end of last season and kept him there, and now he's having a lot of success at the NHL level. You know, that's as Jim Rutherford signed a new contract today uh, to, to remain president of Hockey Ops. That seems to be the one tangible difference, or at least one of the many tangible differences for the organization in recent years is they've started to develop players out of Abbotsford. Well, I think one of the things that, and a trend that has continued a little bit is there's a little bit too much too soon. So those players will get into the NHL, get a bunch of games in, stumble a lot, because the NHL is not a developmental league at all. Even the American League, to a degree, is not developmental. You, you're allowed to experiment to a degree. You're allowed to make mistakes to a degree. Um, you don't have a carte blanche. So I think, you know, and this has been a trend I've seen with Vancouver, is they give them too much too early, and then they send them back into the, then they send them to the American League to try to figure things out. And I'm always of the mindset is I just rather them in the AHL first like, I don't give them a taste. I give them, a, like, a brief taste in the American League so that, into the NHL so they understand the pace of the game and, what, and the habits that are necessary on and off the ice to be a pro every day. But just give them a taste. Don't give them a, a ton of games. And then have them work their way up through their 20-minute, their 20-game segments and see, you know, and then give them another taste. And um, I think sometimes it's been a little bit backwards and it's um, caused some difficulties with their prospects. So I'm curious to see if that strategy is going to change and they just put the kids directly in the American League, give them a little taste, but don't over push it and don't throw them into the deep end of the pool with an anchor. Shane, uh, we always appreciate your time and your insights. Uh, thanks so much for this today. Anytime, gentlemen. Thank you very much. Uh, there is Shane Malloy, uh, of course, board member on the Hockey Scouts Foundation, the Western Canada Professional Hockey Scouts Foundation. Again, you can check out more info on that at the Hockey Scouts Foundation dot com. Uh, it was uh, quite the day here on Canuck Central Sat. Yeah, and you know, uh, you know we outlined, uh, we spoke to Rutherford. If you missed any of it, make sure to check it out on the podcast. I had good discussions about what he said, and you know, spoke to Yannick about it as well. A lot of discussions, but uh, building off what uh, Shane was mentioning on Lakara Mackey and Willander and, and how talented they are and how good of prospects they are, don't expect them to go. And, and a scout, as as Shane mentioned, um, most scouts don't like trading any of their prospects. So that's going to be usually scouts are reluctant when it comes yeah, to trading yeah. prospects. But managers have to make you know those tough decisions. That's where you know we have to keep an eye on here for Vancouver. Yeah. What type of prospects do they have that other teams like that are pro? And 
is that going to be enough sufficient for them to go uh, big game hunting here? Because I do think they're, you know, Rutherford himself said, trying to get a top six forward. Yeah. If you're trying to get a, a higher end player, the cost usually is a first round pick. You don't want to trade prospects, but if you want a good player, you may have to give something. So he essentially said they're open to trading prospects and first round draft picks, and that's the market they're in. But I don't think the Karamaki or Rolander are really going anywhere unless they're getting somebody under team control for a number of years as a young player. It's um, it's tough because I guess it will come down to does do the Hoaglander, Podkolzin, Ratu types have enough value to land you a Lindholm mm-hmm. or Gensel type rental, which is top of the market rental yeah. for this year. And, uh, you know, that's... A lot of times it ends up being the uh, team you're trading with, their decision, because they're deciding between a couple of offers, and yeah. it will depend on which prospect they like the most from the, the number of teams offering similar type deals. Now, what we do know is uh, Rutherford is also generally aggressive. They like to get their, or, and so is Alvin. We saw it last year with the Bo yeah. Horvat trade. Um, after the All-Star break here, it could get very interesting. You know, uh, could they jump ahead of that and do something? Would never put it past them, especially with the number of trades they've made. We'd be foolish to say uh, it's not possible that they do that. But, you know, they might do something pretty sizable here. And it may happen ahead of the trade deadline. And I think that makes it more intriguing and more exciting. Because if you do give up a more runway with your new big acquisition, then you have a bit more time to get that player caught up and comfortable in the city and, and, and hopefully hit the hit the ice skating as fast as you can come tra- come the uh, pl- come playoff time. Dan Richo and Satyar Shah. That'll do it for Canuck Central. We will be back for the pregame tomorrow, 3 o'clock against the Toronto Maple Leafs at Rogers Arena. Yes, the so dreaded 4 o'clock start at Rogers Arena. That's at 3 o'clock our pregame, and then puck drop just after 4 for the main slot on Hockey Night in Canada. For producers Josh and Ben, my co-host Sat, I'm Dan. You've been listening to Canuck Central.